Welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. I'm Darby Toth, a technical field services representative with Western United Dairies. As a reminder, we will be having abridged episodes of the podcast until after the new year. Today, we're going to have an update from our labor attorney, Tony Ramundo, who's going to talk about some additional COVID procedures. And we'll also have our weekly market report from Tiffany LaMondola with Blimling. Hello, hope you all had a great week. Uh, the weather here in California sure is feeling a little bit more like fall and perhaps a little even winter-like. We uh, started the week out on a really optimistic note. Uh, Certainly the Pfizer announcement showing that in clinical trials, their vaccine had 90% effectiveness, really uh, propelled stock indices and dairy futures alike. And uh, the gains in the class three and cheese market continued into Tuesday when the spot uh, cheese market held steady after posting record declines last week. However, the love kind of ended there uh, with the remainder of the week featuring a spot session of kind of multiple sellers, both on the blocks and barrel sides and uh, very little uh, or lackluster demand uh, from buyers. And indeed, we have seen another sort of breathtaking drop in cheese for the week. Uh, Blocks ended under $2 at $191.75 down 42 and a half cents for the week. That puts our two week loss at 86 and a half cents. Barrels dropped a whopping 70, over 70 cents to $1.61. And that puts our two week loss at about 92 cents. So pretty big declines there in that market. I mean, obviously coming off uh, very high levels. Uh, We are hearing still reports of plenty of milk out in the countryside. We are also hearing of more cheese kind of available. And certainly I think buyers are have, you know, stepped to the sidelines here a bit waiting for the bottom. Uh, Kind of piling on as well is that uh, anecdotal reports suggest that this last round of the food box program, which has really been effective at moving American cheese all year, uh, sounds like this last round maybe includes a little bit less of those varieties in the boxes as folks, uh, folks have opted for either other varieties of cheese or other dairy products to meet those specs. And I think finally, sort of the cold weather and obviously some surging COVID cases across the countryside might be hitting the, re- uh, the restaurant sector a bit, um, you know, having to move back in and uh, facing maybe some tighter restrictions we have heard of a a little lighter food service demand uh, here as we've moved into this week. Moving over to the class four space, uh, markets there really remain pretty range bound. Butter seems extremely comfortable, kind of within a 10 cent range between 140 and 150. Uh, We've been there for over the last month. Uh, This week we ended sort of at the lower end of that range, closing right at 140 down three cents for the week. All signs still point to a really good retail pool as we head closer and closer to Thanksgiving. Um, But from a cream perspective, it sounds like supplies may be a little more readily available with a holiday pool for other types of um, cream-based products, perhaps leveling off. 
Nonfat likewise has been stuck in a range sort of between that 106 and 110 mark uh, seems to be the sweet spot for now. And we really don't see many major catalysts to push the market uh, either direction by a large extent. We will get a, a, a read of uh, the global markets next week with another uh, global dairy trade event. Uh, so we'll see if uh, that can help kind of feed the bulls in any case. Sort of another watch out item that uh, hit this week, certainly the grain markets kind of got up and going um, with both the corn and soybean um, expectations out of the U.S. dairy report with ending stocks um, well below pre-report uh, estimates or expectations. So those markets both shot higher for the week. With that in mind and 2021 rapidly approaching, still quite a, a few uncertainties uh, around what next year's uh, price projections look like, I'll just give out another friendly reminder. A uh, couple programs for you guys to consider. Uh, DMC dairy margin coverage signups are open now at your FSA office. Those run through December 11th. And by all estimates, uh, we expect it's, you know, we've been recommending uh, folks look at 5 million pounds. Um, it's not a lot of milk. It covers about 225 cows, but it'll cost you just 7,600 bucks. And, you know, looking back at history at that 950 margin, um, it has paid off over 70% of the time. And with grain markets getting a little frisky here, might be something to consider, at least on that small amount of your milk. And um, another popular program to sort of supplement that has certainly been the Dairy Revenue Protection Program, or DRP, uh, something to look at to add some milk price floors, um, particularly if you've got your feed side of the equation locked up. So reach out with any questions. Hope you all have a fantastic week. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pg.com/safety. Thanks so much, Tiffany. Now we'll jump over to Darby and I's interview with our esteemed labor attorney, Anthony Ramundo of Ramundo and Associates. Welcome back to the show, Anthony Ramundo. Anthony is WUD's labor attorney and works really closely with a lot of our members. And we're thankful that you could take some time to be on today, Anthony. Thank you for having me. Always happy to be on. So as we kind of get started here, can you kick us off with an update on AB 1867? Yeah, so um, AB 1867 codifies a lot of what the governor did with... Um, his executive orders in the early days of the COVID pandemic. Um, essentially, he started ordering things by executive order. And then in order to clean it up for legal purposes, they put that stuff in a bill, which was AB 1867. And then that has been, has been made law. So um, that codifies um, the California Supplemental Paid Sick Leave, which is in addition to the, um, the federal emergency sick leave. Um, it covers um, uh, the, the, the supplemental paid sick leave covers private food sector employers with 500 plus employees. So most dairies don't need to worry about it because we don't have very many dairies with 500 plus employees. What dairies do need to worry about is the federal sick leave, which is for employers with smaller than, um, than five employees. 
Um, and people who are eligible for that sick leave are employees who are employed for at least 30 days. Um, they're eligible up to 10 weeks of, uh, of paid family leaves to care for a child if the um, uh, if the child is in school or daycare that's, that is closed. Um, and then the employee can get um, uh, three uh, uh, two weeks of sick leave. It's two weeks up to a maximum of 80 hours. Um, if they're subject to an isolation order, if they're advised by a healthcare professional to self-quarantine, um, if they're experiencing COVID symptoms and they're seeking a diagnosis, um, uh, or they themselves have, have tested positive, which in which case they will have that isolation order. Um, so again, it's if for a full-time employee, it's two weeks up to 80 hours. If it's somebody who works part-time, like a, if you have a relief employee on the dairy, they would get the number of hours that they would normally work in a, in a, in a, two, in a two week period. It's important to make sure you document that leave carefully, that federal sick leave, because there is a payroll tax credit that can cover the cost of it. So make sure you document and classify it as the federal emergency sick leave and make sure you, that, that every employer should talk to their tax advisor uh, to make sure they're getting the benefit of that, pay, of that, um, that, that payroll tax credit. Um, um, other things that, that, it, that have put on, um, there is a, a reporting obligation under AB 1867. So if there's a number of cases, and we've seen this happen at a few dairies where they've met this standard, where there's a number of cases that meet the definition of a COVID-19 outbreak, you have to notify your local public health agency of the names, the phone number, the occupation, and the work site of any COVID-19 positive employees, and then also report the business address and the NAICS code of the work site where the infected individuals work. And then the, if you have an outbreak, you have to continue to inform the local healthcare department of any subsequent um, laboratory confirmed COVID-19 cases at the work site. And an outbreak is defined as four total employees if you're less than 100 employees or 4% of the workforce if you're over 100 employees. So we have had, I have gotten calls from a few dairies where you've had um, four or more employees. You know, most of our dairies are less than 100. We have a few that are that are over that, but most are less than 100 employees. So that four employee threshold is easy to, to hit on a dairy, especially if you have employees that are living on site or in shared housing, or you know, I mean, when they're living on site, when you have multiple employees living on site, they tend to socialize with each other. Um, so it's very easy to hit that four employee threshold, which triggers that reporting obligation to your local your local healthcare department. Um, honestly, I don't mind notifying those local healthcare officials because it actually provides a lot more clarity as to what we're supposed to do. Um, so it, it really can actually help the dairy to, to be able to notify the, the local health department. And the health departments mostly that we've worked with have been very actually cooperative and helpful with the employer to figure out, you know, for example, they may have resources that we don't have. Um, this wasn't a dairy situation, but we had an outbreak at a farm labor contractor that I represented amongst H-2A workers this summer. And they were, so because these are H-2A workers, which are temporary visa workers, they're all living in communal housing. The contractor actually owned a small motel where they had housed the workers, but they're using shared rooms. So they didn't have any way for these people to self-isolate who had tested positive. And the local health department actually had places available at no charge to the employer where employees can be moved to enable them to isolate. So there may be resources there that they can be helpful and provide you with some guidance on what you need to do. Um, the other thing to be aware of is that um, uh, COVID has now been rolled into, uh, through AB 1867, into our CalOSHA process. So if we have a serious illness, a serious injury, or death of an employee that occurs at work or in connection at work, that has to be reported to OSHA within eight hours 
or it's an automatic fine. And they never back off on that fine. It's a minimum of $5,000 for the fine, although recently we've seen fines in the neighborhood of about $8,000. Um, the definition of a serious illness or injury is one where there's hospitalization involved. So we're always of the mind of in those situations because of the fine, when in doubt, you have to notify Cal OSHA and you have to do it within eight hours, even if it's on the weekend, even if it's the middle of the night. Every Cal OSHA local, local area has a number that you can call to make those reports. It's really important to make that report and document that you did so, so that you can make sure that, um, that you don't end up getting stuck with a fine for, uh, for failing to report. Um, if you do report, it will almost always trigger a Cal OSHA investigation. Um, so one of the things you need to do is make sure that you're in compliance with all of the Cal OSHA requirements, because once they come out and investigate you, they can kind of look at everything from a global standpoint, not just the, um, the, the COVID-19 scenario. So if an employee becomes sick at work with COVID, it doesn't matter if we think they got it from their mom or from their wife or from, you know, some, somebody else somewhere else. Um, Cal OSHA will presume that it's work-related. So if it does involve hospitalization or God forbid, um, thank goodness, we haven't really seen much of this where there's been people who passed away. Um, but once you're aware of that, you do need to report within, within eight hours. We have had a couple of hospitalizations, but you know, for the most part in, in ag and in, in general and in dairy in particular, most of our workforce is pretty healthy and hearty because they do physical work. So we haven't seen a lot of serious illness with COVID. If anything, what I've seen more with COVID in agriculture is workers who get frustrated that they have to stay home because they want to come back to work. Yeah. Tony, can we um, really quick take a step back and that hospitalization, um, can we define that as an actual, actually being admitted to the hospital for an overnight stay versus just going to the ER and getting checked out or going to the doctor? Yeah, it's typically going to be an overnight stay. Okay. Now, where it gets tricky is a lot of times the employer doesn't get informed right away. Yeah. So there's a lot of times where we'll be, we think it's not very serious, and then it ends up turning into something more serious, which is why I say when in doubt, report it to Cal OSHA, because I have had some folks get uh, over the years, not just for, for COVID, but for a variety of situations where, you know, we didn't think it was going to be an overnight hospitalization, but then it turned into that. Um, yeah. You're, you're better off uh, when, it, when you think it might be an overnight hospitalization, report it. But again, okay. it's really important to make sure that you are uh, on top of your Cal OSHA requirements. Definitely, which kind of leads to the next question, Tony. Um, we've had a lot of phone calls about what dairy should be doing about COVID and the IIPP on farms. So is there a simple answer to that? How can they handle that? If they do get a surprise inspection, what can they show the OSHA? Inspection. Yeah, you really do now need to incorporate COVID protection into your IIPP. So um, the IIPP is kind of the, the core document of the, the, the Cal OSHA regulations. The IIPP lays out what the employer does in order to maintain workplace safety. Um, there's a lot of different ways to get an IIPP made. Um, a lot of the insurance carriers have templates, but it's important not to just rely on the template. You actually need to make a document that applies to what you do at your ranch. And the thing I think that a lot of employers where they fall short with OSHA compliance is once you create that IIPP, you have to follow it. Yep. If you don't follow your own IIPP, 
um, it doesn't matter how good it is, you're going to get cited for not following your IIPP. So we see a lot of IIPPs here that say they're going to do these inspections and that training and all these various things that the employer says they're going to do, and then they don't do it. And that, that's a standalone violation right there if you don't follow through and implement your IIPP. So it's really important to prepare that document in a way that actually matches what you are willing to do and what you're able to do. Um, and that's going to vary from ranch to ranch, depending on your personnel, depending on your size. Um, but certainly COVID needs to be worked into it. So things like mask requirements, things like social distancing requirements, things like training the employees that they need to make sure that they report any symptoms, that they make sure that if they do have any symptoms, that they don't come to work. I mean, even here in my law office, I just had a conversation with my employees a week ago where I reminded them that they have access to this additional sick leave and things like that. And if they have any symptoms that are anything close to COVID, I don't want them to come to work. I want them to call in sick, let me know. You can have people tested and there's protocols for how long they have to isolate if they've been, you know, I had one of my employees uh, a week ago um, called us and said, I just found out that my mother who I see regularly tested positive for COVID. So I had to have the employee stay home for 14 days because even though we had her tested and she tested negative, she had been exposed to somebody who tested positive and the protocol is that person has to quarantine for 14 days. So we paid her the emergency sick leave um, and she stayed out of work for a 14 day period. Now that included the weekend. So she didn't miss 14 days of work, but um, it's really important to make sure your IAPP includes all this stuff, but also that you're communicating this to the employees. We don't want to hit that outbreak threshold. So one of the things that's really important is to make sure that you communicate to your employees that it's okay for them to call you and let you know, hey, I was exposed to somebody who tested positive. You know, I live with an extended family and one of my family members tested positive. And it's also important to remember that if you clear them with a, with a negative test, you may still have to have them self-isolate for a period of time from that period of exposure. Now, there's some flexibility on dairy because we, we are considered an essential industry as a food sector employer. So you can actually, if they're essential to the operation of the business, um, if you get a negative test, you can have them come back before the expiration of that 14-day that, uh, that quarantine. But I usually advise against that because we do want to be very cautious about this. Definitely. Yeah, as much as possible, we've been kind of advising the same thing. I have a couple dairies where they only have one or two employees, so they're working with their county officials to figure out what's the best opportunity for them. But and that's where working with those health departments, as yep. I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I I don't know if your experience has been the same as mine, but I've actually found that to be a very helpful resource, especially for our smaller employers to get help to make sure that the business can operate and that we're following all the rules. Absolutely. And we did have a dairy, I think we chatted before Tony, um, up in one of my counties that had um, seven positive cases, all asymptomatic, but they were tested because they attended a funeral where there were some positives. And the county worked with them to quarantine the dairy. They sort of islanded it. So someone was bringing food and dropping it off. Um, and the dairy operators were just making sure that no one left the facility um, made sure to monitor symptoms, make sure no one was getting sick or needed medical attention, but they were able to stay and work because they they had no other options. And, and luckily no one had any um, symptomatic cases. So they were younger and healthier folks, which is good. And that's a, that's a great example of the kind of creative solutions that you can come up with. And, yep. you know, 
those dairymen who are listening to this who know me will know that I'm like the most distrustful person of government agencies that there is. And, you know, I spend every day of my life, you know, fighting these guys. But sometimes they can come in handy. And I, so far through the, the period of the pandemic, I have found those local health departments to be really helpful and yeah. supportive as far as coming up with solutions. And the nice thing about those kind of solutions is that they're they're blessed with the authority of the local health department. So it also kind of helps us to avoid that you know, that sort of public scorn of, hey, you weren't careful enough. Yeah, I, I like the idea of having that shield of saying, we work with our local health officials and we, we did what they told us to do. Yes, absolutely. And and it, the, I think going through it was a little bit stressful, but looking at it from the back end, um, the dairymen and everyone were really satisfied with how it worked out. It, it's not always easy. And I know dairymen are, are not huge fans typically of, of working with um, local officials or government agencies, but oftentimes creating that partnership and, and having that mutual trust is really the way to go. It works out a little better in the end. And we're always here as you are, Tony, to help facilitate that for guys when they have an issue. I'm a lot more comfortable reporting to a local health department than I am reporting to Cal OSHA. Yeah. That's why it's important for dairies to understand that the only time they have to report to Cal OSHA is if there is that inpatient hospital visit or fatality. Mm -hmm. In an ordinary, I had some symptoms and my doctor told me to stay home, but I'm doing okay, which has been really what we've seen um, in dairy for the most part. Um, those situations do not require a report to Cal OSHA because I, I will say if Cal OSHA comes out and they investigate you, they will be looking to find, find something they can cite you for. Definitely. And it opens your whole facility up. So I did want to take the opportunity to mention to all your listeners that my office has a free email update service that they can sign up for. So they can come to our website, which is www.ramondoassociates.com. And so there's a little form they can fill out there to sign up. Or they're always welcome to call the office at area code 559-432-3000. And my staff will help them get signed up for those email updates. Um, we've been putting a lot of stuff out about COVID and as things develop. And things are changing very quickly. And yeah. right now we're working on an update. Some, some people may be aware that um, a lawsuit challenging uh, Governor Newsom's uh, executive orders um, was ruled on, I think, yesterday. Uh, and the judge issued a permanent injunction against the governor issuing any further executive orders to change existing laws. So we're in the process of putting together an update on that. I have one of my attorneys working on a, a, an update on that for folks. So um, if they're interested in that, this would be a good timing to sign up for that, that system. It is totally free. You know, most lawyers don't like to do anything for free. The emails are free. No one's going to get billed anything for it. And it's a great way for us to try to get information out to everybody through their email and they can kind of keep track of things as they change because things are changing very rapidly. And I think we're gonna to continue to see that, see things change as the winter months come on. And, you know, we always have more people getting sick in the wintertime than we do in the summertime. So it's my expectation that we're gonna see things change very rapidly between, you know, now and the end of the year. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And it's, um, I will attest that those emails are really helpful. They always cue me to reach out to Ariel and say, hey, we need to get Tony on the show because there's some great updates that come out and just provides a lot of clarity to, like you said, a really rapidly changing. Um, rapidly the, other changing way that, um, the other way that people can sign up for the, uh, the email blast, which is sometimes easier for people is um, if you, if you text allies for success, it's allies, the number four success to the number 22828, it'll prompt them to enter their email and they get automatically added to the distribution list so you can sign up right from your cell phone. 
Perfect. And we'll add the link to your website um, sign up and that um, information to our show notes today. So if anyone wants to, to jump on, it'll be there. Um, well, there's a lot of different ways that employers are getting creative about the communication part of this with their with, with employees. You know, we've seen, um, you know, at some of the, the food processing facilities that we represent, they're doing temperature checks at the door and asking people about symptoms. That's harder to do on dairies with the, the coming and going. But like one of the things that we implemented in my office is we have a little QR code at our front door and any uh, member of the public that comes into our office has to scan that QR code and it has a little quick questionnaire that they fill out of do they have have they had any symptoms. And, you know, those kind of tools are available. So I would encourage any any of the listeners to talk to you guys as field reps or engage with us at my office. You know, they do get that hour of free service uh, with our office and we don't watch the clock on that, guys. We, uh, we, we want to be here to help you. So uh, we're happy to try to help dairies brainstorm with creative solutions to make sure they keep that, that door of communication open. But you know, I found that the biggest thing is just letting your employees know, look, we're not going to be upset with you if you get sick. We're not going to be upset with you if you get exposed and you have to stay home. The most important thing is that we communicate with each other so that if there is an exposure, we can protect everybody else from that exposure. Definitely. And keep your keep the dairy rolling during the process. All right, we keep the dairy rolling. We make sure that the worker who's been exposed has access to the sick leave that they need. Mm-hmm. We make sure that the people that are still at the dairy are not further exposed to illness. Um, you know, nobody wants to be in this situation, and I think the thing that we need most of all is to stick together and work together uh, for everybody's needs to try to get through it. I agree. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tony, for joining us today. And we'll definitely have you back here pretty quick. It's it's nice to have these updates kind of once monthly. And I think that's kind of the pattern we've been on just because there's so much that changes so quickly. And it's a good, easily accessible um, bit of information for producers who can then go to the next steps if they need to. I'm always happy to do it. And uh, maybe one of these days we should do a, a COVID webinar yes. uh, for the members. I think that might be something that's helpful as well. Let, I, let, let's talk about that and uh, we'll find a way to put something together. Absolutely. That sounds great. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, guys. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. Thank you for joining us for today's abridged episode of Seen and Heard, Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. I'm Melissa Lima, your North Coast and Organic Field Services Rep, and we want to say that we really appreciate your time, and we'll see you for full-fledged episodes again in January. Today, we'd love to thank our contributors, Tiffany LaMandola, our contract economist with Blimling, and Anthony Raimondo, our WUD labor attorney with Raimondo and Associates in Fresno. A huge thank you as well to all of our sponsors, especially PG&E and Yosemite Farm Credit. If you'd like information on sponsorship or how to advertise on our podcast, please reach out to our office at info at wudairies.com or 209-527-6453. Questions, comments, and content requests for the podcast can be directed to either Darby or I 
M-L-E-M-A at wudairies.com or D-A-R-B-Y at wudairies.com. And remember, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite listening platform. Thanks and have a great week, everyone. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the West United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies generous 2020 business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com.